why I want you here. This is very important for you to catch this. But, you know, I, we don't need another meeting. We don't need more activity. What we need is a, we need places, though, where we can recalibrate and refocus. I don't know if you know this or not, but most of the information we're receiving during the week is, to me, feels a bit manipulative and trying to move me towards certain things. And I just need time where I can be together with you and refocus and recalibrate, resettle my soul. And that's what First Wednesday does. It's an hour, 6.30 p.m., when we gather in this room and we have one main focus. In fact, it's the only focus. And that's to worship the person of Jesus, welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives. And that's what First Wednesday is going to be about. I want you to be here, bring your kids, bring your family. It's a family service. So you have your children with you, worshiping together for that hour. I promise you, you'll walk out of here, back into your week, full and fresh and refocused. Amen? Amen. All right, like 12 of you are excited about that. That's good. Hey, Jesus only had 12, so I'll take 12 on Wednesday night, all right? So turn in your Bible to 1 John, where Pastor Daniel started out the sermon series last week, a fantastic message from Pastor Daniel. And I'm going to take what he said and, and build on it today. 1 John is a book written by John, no, no, uh, not to be Captain Obvious, but there is a bit of a controversy about which John wrote 1 John. Now, most people believe 2 John and 3 John was written by John the Revelator, John who was on the Isle of Patmos, who wrote the book of Revelation, and John. There's a debate about who wrote 1 John. Some people think it was John the Elder, which is a common thing, and then some people believe it was the John the Revelator. It doesn't matter, really, because both these men, this is why it's so important, listen, both these men walked and talked and went on camping trips, saw miracles. Whoever wrote this book, whichever of those two men wrote the book, had firsthand knowledge of Jesus. They touched Jesus, they heard Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they knew Jesus. They were first account witnesses of the resurrection. So this is why this book is so powerful. But it's really not a letter, in my opinion. First John isn't a letter, I think it's more of a poetic sermon <clears throat> sent to churches that during this time were being threatened by hostile people. Now it's important to know who these hostile people were. They were actually ex-church members. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but the nicest, sweetest, kindest people I have ever met are church people. The meanest people I have ever met are church people. Come on, somebody, am I the only one in the room that has come to that? Sometimes I'd rather be around a bunch of pagans. They're, they're sometimes nicer than some church people. Listen, that hasn't changed for like 2,000 years. These were people that had left the church but were coming back and really aggressively opposing the work of Jesus and John's upset that these people who once believed in Jesus were now believing some really awful heresies and were spreading those heresies around the community and bringing hostilities back toward the gathered body of Christ. So John hears about this, John's very upset about this. So he's writing to a group of believers scattered around Asia, around the Mediterranean region who needed to be encouraged. I, how many of you in the room today could use some encouragement today? Amen, this is what this book does. 
So the book challenges us. The book corrects us. The book convicts us. But at the end of the day, after all that is said and done, the scriptures should leave you with courage. They should leave you hopeful. It should leave you changed and corrected and encouraged. So let's keep, let's read together today in 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, this is the message we have heard. Now listen, that's very important. And that you're going to hear that phrase throughout this book. Now, why did he say that? He said, because I, he said, I walked with Jesus. I was with Jesus. I heard Jesus say what I'm about to say to you. This is the message we have heard from him and we declare it to you. God is light. Now that's the title of the message today. God is light. And it says, and in him, there is no darkness at all. None, zilch, nada, zero, no darkness. So let me stop here just for a moment. New lifers, is it possible in our lives that we've allowed a little bit of darkness and a little bit of light and we're trying to coexist with a little bit of darkness and a little bit of light? When this, this is what was happening in the church in the first century. And John says, listen, you gotta make up your mind. Who are you going to follow? How are you going to live your life? He says, if we claim to have fellowship with Jesus, with him, and yet we choose to walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, now this is important, this is a decision that we make. So there's, there's, there's times in our lives where you may be overcome by darkness. I've lived in those. Have you ever gotten that phone call? where you, you got overwhelmed by darkness. Darkness just overwhelmed you all of a sudden. Sadness, so you started crying. You were, maybe you've gone through seasons of depression where you were overwhelmed by darkness. That's not what I'm talking about here. Or maybe you were confronted with darkness. Maybe you were going about your normal day. Suddenly you come face to face with darkness. You're confronted with it, right? So I'm not talking about being overwhelmed by darkness or being confronted by darkness. I'm talking about choosing to walk in darkness. There is a big difference here, that, and, and he's talking about this. He says, if you choose to walk in darkness. He says, but if we choose to walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In other words, listen, if you walk this way, you're gonna bump into a group of people who are also walking this way. And they are the best people on the planet. They're imperfect, they're messy, they're weird sometimes. They, they, they eat weird stuff and say weird stuff. But what you find is this honest and integrous person, this person who's living with honesty, transparency, they're living a life that's open. That's a good group of people. He said, if you walk in the light, you're gonna have fellowship with those people who are also walking in the light. He says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, this is not a new idea in the Bible. First John is toward the back of the Bible, right toward the end. In the first four verses of the Bible though, Genesis one, the first thing that God created, most, in fact, if you ask most Christians, what was the first thing God created? It was light. Genesis one. 
Verse three, he says, let there be what? Light. What was happening? So he was looking at the earth. It was void and formless, just a dark shadowy mess. And he says, I can't do anything with that until there's light. Listen, this is true for your life as it was for the early creation. God cannot create beautiful things until he first brings light into your world. Before he created mountains and oceans and animals and people, he had to separate the light from the darkness. Before God can do anything beautiful in our lives, he's first got to, you have to make up your mind. What are you going to receive into your light? Are you going to walk in the light? Or are you going to walk in the darkness? In Genesis 1, chapter 4, the next verse, he says, he separated light from darkness. And they have been separate ever since. All right, this is not a new idea. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is John the Revelator, the apostle. Says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. This, I'm reading you a 2,000-year-old text. Is this not 2023 that I'm reading out loud here to you? I don't know, if, I'm not trying to, uh, one of my biggest goals in life is not to be the cynical old angry man. But I can tell you this, I am wrestling a lot of cynicism right now. I'm not angry. I, Pam can tell you that I don't, I'm pretty joyful. I don't, I'm not allowing myself to walk around in a constant angry state. That's not good, I'm a heart patient, so that's not good for me, all right? So I just, joy will, joy will keep me on the planet a lot longer than my anger. Which by the way, your joy will keep you on the planet a lot longer than your anger. And so I've just, I've, but I'm having a hard time not being suspicious and cynical of everything that's being said to me. Why? Because there's very few people who are really wanting to walk in the light. And the reason they're avoiding the light is they don't want evil deeds to be exposed. And there's a reason why human beings have been hiding from God since creation. Why did Adam and Eve hide from God? Because they had sinned. And their first response when they sinned was to hide from God. John is saying, this is true for Adam and Eve, it's true for the first century disciples, and it's true for us living in 2023. The reason we don't wanna come before God and be honest, we're really not sure how he's going to treat our sin. Come on, let's have, this is a, we're about to have church in here now, okay? So I need you to give me some feedback. I'm gonna say some strong things today. The reason we don't come before God and walk in honesty, transparency, is we're really not certain how he's going to respond to our sin. Listen to this, he said, but whoever, verse 19, verse 21, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So that's a decision, again, not being overcome by darkness, not being confronted by darkness, but deciding every day to walk in honesty. Transparency, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Later on in chapter eight, he continues this. Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. 
Jesus makes a pretty bold claim there. Jesus made several bold claims. He said he was the son of God, said he was gonna be resurrected. He says, I am the light of the world. But don't accuse Jesus of just being a passive little teacher with some nice thoughts about the poor. No, he makes bold declarations about himself. I am the light of the world. I am the, the Messiah you've been hoping for. I, am the, I will be resurrected. And whoever, listen, this is a bold, bold claim. Whoever follows me will never, ever, ever, never, ever walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In August of 1988, Pam and I had gone out on a date. I think we'd probably gone to El Chico's because it's the only Tex-Mex place around. And we'd probably gone to some 1988 movie. I don't know what was showing back then. But that's what our normal Saturday night date was looking like. And I dropped her off at her home on, uh, in Ruston, Louisiana. And I took the long way home, back roads. It was a summer night, August, humid, hot. It's like the Burmese jungle there in August. And so I had my windows down, back country road, and God was dealing with me and had been dealing with me for quite some time. And I remember that just the, the presence of God came into my little Ford pickup that I was driving and I stopped and I prayed and I confessed. And my life has been radically different ever since. And that was 35 years ago. Pam actually the next day went to church with me and had a similar moment where she had been raised in church, was a believer in Jesus, but something happened in her heart as well. And so within 12 hours of each other, we committed our lives to Christ and have never looked back. Got married about a year later and had never looked back. And I'm grateful for that decision. But because I was such a pagan, I mean, I, I've tried, I've broken all the Ten Commandments except murder. I mean, it's just, I was a bad guy. I was, I, was a, I was lost, deep in the woods lost. And God had to do something radical to get my attention. And he knew that if he did not, if I did not get discipled early on, I would probably fall back into my way of, of sinning in life. So I remember buying a cassette tape with Keith Green music on it. Come in, anybody, any Keith Green fans in the house? How many of you have, how many of you ever bought a Keith Green cassette tape? Raise your hand, all right? So a bunch of all the old folks in the room. If you're under the age of 40, just YouTube it. It's on, he's on YouTube. He's got some of the old footage of him singing. He was a, 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 just, he was a radical, he looked like John the Baptist to me when I was listening to him. But he had this song that he had written out of the 51st Psalm, created me a clean heart, O God. And basically he sang the 51st Psalm and made it into a, a song. And that was the first song that I heard when I put the cassette tape in and that song pierced my soul. And it was a song about being honest before the Lord. So for the last 35 years of following Jesus, what I'm about, the sentence I'm about to give you has guided me, directed me. It, even today at 56 years old, I've been a pastor for 28 years. Half of my life I've been a pastor. And the reason I've gotten to this place in my life where I've, 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 I'm married to the same woman, I still love Jesus, my kids love Jesus, I still love the church, and I, I'm living with a clean heart is because of the sentence I'm about to give you. 
And the Lord gave this to me within the first few weeks of my salvation. He said, Brady, the greatest weapon we can use against the enemy is to maintain an honest heart before God. In other words, live in a perpetual state of repentance and confession. Be quick to acknowledge when you've messed up. Don't hide from God. Come clean. Live in the light, in other words. Don't, don't, don't live in the shadows. Sometimes I'll add a few sentences to this prayer. I'll say, Lord, I, I confess. I want to be honest. And, and I, I think about that scripture in Revelation 3 when he's writing to the Laodicean church. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you'll open up, I'm going to come in. What if it's a messy house? I'm coming in. What if it's an unclean house? I'm coming in. What if it's a cluttered mess? I'm coming in. So he's not waiting for us to get our house in perfect order before he walks into the door of our lives. He's saying, no, I'll come in. God's willing to come into your messes. And when I was a young man, I had a lot to clean up. And quite honestly, it took me a good 12, 13 years to get rid of some of those baggages, those insecurities, those iniquities that had attached themselves to me, those sinful habits that I had. It took a long time of just confessing and being honest and making more mistakes. But what I realized is that God was okay with me confessing. He was okay with the information. Listen, this is God knows your sin. He understands your sin. And he has forgiven your sin. So if he knows it already, if he fully understands it, and he's fully forgiven it, why can't we come clean to him? And in fact, telling the truth is cooperating with God. This is God, that's our part of the deal. If Jesus has already done all the hard work of forgiveness, what is our responsibility? Tell him the truth. But why is that so hard? Why is that so difficult? Because the Bible is full of stories of world-class, high, I mean, some of the heroes of our faith wrestled with this. And I'll just share a few of them. Moses was wrestling with this. The great hero of the Jewish people. He meets God at a burning bush. The bush is burning, but not being consumed. That's the first clue that something powerful is happening. And then a voice from heaven. I don't know if that's happened in your backyard in the last few days, but that's a terrifying moment. Like, right, your pine tree is on fire, but it's not being consumed. People are calling the fire department, nothing's happening. Voices, a booming voice in Briargate. Think about this, but he doesn't want any part of it. He said, I can't talk, I can't do what you're asking me to do. His first response was resistance. Isaiah is in the temple having a worship moment. God comes to him and he's terrified. God speaks to him and he goes, no, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't do this. Peter sees Jesus walking on water toward him. First of all, I've had some questions. How are you doing that? What, what is that? Did you find a series of stumps? I mean, how'd you, how, what are you doing? But he does it. He, he, he pushes, does it. He runs from God. You see, this, this, is, this seems like the proper response for any of us meeting God. And this, this is what I want you to consider with me today, okay? Stay with me. 
Because what I'm about to tell you can mean the difference between really leading a liberated life or leading a life that's full of bondage. But it comes down to some simple choices that we all have to make. And the reason that all of humanity, for all of human history, has resisted and rejected the notion of coming toward a holy God. I'm talking about the God of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I'm talking about the God that John saw on the island of Patmos, high and lifted up, surrounded by 24 living creatures and elders. Holy, 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 that God is who I'm talking about. The one true God who is alive and well, seated, Jesus seated at the right hand of God the Father in holy power. Why do we resist coming toward that God? Why do we resist an honest encounter with a God that seems to love us? There's two questions. Two questions that we ask ourselves. Will God see our brokenness? And what will he do with it? How will he react? I I tell parents all the time, especially parents of teenagers, I have good news and bad news. The good news is your kids will not always be teenagers. They will grow up, They're, they're gonna grow up. But the bad news is as they are teenagers, they're going to make mistakes. You should assume that. When my kids were teenagers, I assumed that they were going to mess up. Part of the reason was because I remembered myself as a teenager. And I had the spirit of knucklehead all over me. I was completely possessed by the spirit of knucklehead. Come on, shenanigans and tomfoolery everywhere, right? All right, so when your teenagers mess up and they pull some shenanigans, some tomfoolery, why are you freaking out? Ah! What, What you're doing is you're conditioning your kids that that's how God's going to respond to their mishaps. I'm not saying there's no consequences, but you don't have to lose your mind every time they make a mistake. You should expect it. In fact, you should say, you know, I expected this to happen. This is a normal part of growing up. We'll clean the mess up. We'll get, the, the car can be repaired as long as you're okay, but calm down. There were a lot of pillow in the face moments when I was a dad. But not in front of them. Calm. I was trying to teach my children a valuable lesson. One day, in your own walk with the Lord, you're going to have a moment of complete brokenness. You're going to really mess up. And you're going to have to make up your mind, can I go to the Lord and tell him what happened? And what's he going to do with that? How is he going to handle that information? He's going to handle it better than dad did, but it's going to be similar. He's going to correct you, love you, and put you on a better path. But he's not going to lose his mind. Listen, do you know know every sin you've committed, Jesus has seen it before? (laughs) There's eight billion people on the planet. What's happening in your life is happening somewhere else. You haven't created a new sin. They're the old ones that we keep doing. There are no original sins anymore, okay? Every sin that's being committed has already been committed. And God's already seen it. God's not up in heaven and said, well, man, they have gone to a whole nother level. I did not think they could get any darker, but that's bad right there. Did did y'all see that coming? 
<laughs> he's gonna, he, here's, here's, he's exact, he goes, I expected that. They're growing up. Listen, he looks at us like we look at our kids. Well, they're growing up. I expected some mistakes along the way. They're not gonna be angels so they come up here with me anyway. And then they're probably gonna make some mistakes here too and I'm gonna have to correct them here. Some of them are really hard-headed. So what's God going to do with the information here? Secondly, will he reject us? Well, God, does God have a limit on how many times he's going to forgive you? Is the limit 823 and you just hit 824? Well, I mean, Jesus, when he told his disciples, how many times should you forgive those who have trespassed against you? Seven times seven? Or 70 times seven? In other words, he was saying there are, there are no limitations to this. So the writer of this book, John, he knew firsthand what it was like to be confronted by the light of God while being full of darkness. He understood this. You can't walk three years with Jesus without getting your chops busted a few times by Jesus. Jesus would often turn to his disciples and say, stop it, quit being prideful. Be, be like a servant, stop, stop with your pride, your arrogance, your anger. I mean, John the Revelator asked Jesus to call down fire on a whole city one time. John said, hey, you know, you should call down fire on that city. It sounds like what you're hearing on social media right now. God should just call down fire on all of them. Listen, John, listen to what John wrote. John 1, when he's penning his book, opening five verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. In other words, Jesus has a really big capacity to see and understand things. He made everything. In him, all things were made. Without him, nothing's gonna be made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Listen to verse five. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Listen, I, I just want you to be, I want you to understand something that happens to me when I'm preaching up here. I get, I get the most pressure that I get as the leader of a congregation is to speak out on social issues. And I am deeply concerned about, the, about our nation. I'm concerned on multiple levels about what's happening. I am as much, my head is not in the sand and I can promise you with 100% accuracy, I do not lack courage. I've pastored you for 15 and a half years through the darkest of seasons, and there is no cowardly in me. I will lead, but I have to be faithful to this one thing. We cannot change the world unless we are changed first. You, we cannot expect a holy world if the church is not holy. We should be spending the vast majority of our times inspecting our hearts on a regular basis. We, this, let me tell you how the, the world gets changed. When I allow the deep things of God inside of me to become life inside of me. In other words, when I begin to live my life as a follower of Jesus in an authentic, powerful way, 
That is going to spill out of me, and guess who's going to be in, uh, affected? Pam is going to flourish because of that. And by the way, I flourished because of her holiness too. So it's not me, only, I'm not the only one responsible for this in my home. Pam and I together in a marriage, if we concentrate on our own hearts becoming holy, guess who benefits? I benefit from her godliness, she benefits from my godliness, and our kids benefit. Then if our kids are benefiting from our godliness, they're going to influence their friends. I'm going to influence you. You're going to influence your realm of, of influence all over town. But if the church is not holy, listen, the world will not listen to our truth unless they're first convinced of our love. And right now we're yelling truth at them and it is truth, but it's not being spoken in love and it's not coming out of the holy heart. We've been angry for like five years. And what's that? It's not benefiting our listeners. The angry rants, I know you want what you want from me is to get up here with an angry rant. It's, why? I've not compromised one thing that I believe about the scriptures. I believe the truth of these, this, this, this Bible, these scriptures, the Holy Spirit is as live in me as it's ever been in my whole life. But I have to make sure that I'm holy, that God, that the Christ Jesus is living in me that before I can be an influence to anyone. The vast attention that we should be using is attention to our own soul. In other words, we can only become the light of the world when Jesus is the light of our world. You can't be the light of the world unless you are fully alive. And really the reason I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to this is that when you come into the light, you find out just how loved you are. You find that you're not being rejected. You're not being pushed aside. Jesus is not misunderstanding you. He's actually the father sitting on the front porch waiting for his prodigal to come home. That's, that's the picture. The, the sinful, filthy, rebellious young boy repenting and coming back home. What did the father do? Father lifted up his garments and ran on a dead sprint. Listen, there's nothing uglier than an old guy running. But listen, this guy was old and he's running. The father, the big embrace. That's the God understands filth. He didn't wait for him to clean up before he got a hug. I was in the Ukraine 20 years ago. For some reason, I thought of this story this week. I, was, I guess I was praying over the Ukraine, praying over all the mess there. And I was there for a whole week in Odessa, Ukraine, which is down on the Black Sea. It was 20 years ago. Was, the Black Sea had actually frozen over. Was, we were there in the first week of February, and the Black Sea had frozen over big chunks of ice out there. We went out to see it. And we were there all week training pastors and leaders. And at night, we would go out and preach and teach. We'd, we, were, we were all week long, we'd been there. And we were tired. It was the last night. So this pastor, our host, took us out to eat, and he said, hey, before you go back, I want you to meet my family. Now, we're gonna to have to walk a ways, he said, and, there, and he said, There's, you know, this is just right out of communism. They had not been a free country very long, and it was, all the street lights were out, the roads were a mess, and we get to his apartment complex, and his apartment's on the third floor, 
and we have to walk up a flight of metal stairs that's attached to the outside. It's not inside. The stairs are attached to the outside of this brick wall. And it, it, no lights, it's completely dark. And it looks like that the, the stairs are loosely attached. And I'm being gracious. It would not pass OSHA standards in America, okay? So we get to the bottom of these stairs and I said, is this the only way to your apartment? He goes, the quickest way. Well, I didn't want to see the slow way if this is the quick way, right? So he just shoots right up the stairs. He just runs up the stairs. And they think that you can hear it creaking. You can hear it moving. And it's pitch black. It's at night, cold, we're cold. It's like five degrees. And my friend and I are like, I guess we gotta go up those stairs. And we're like Texans on the ice. We're taking little steps like this. Have you ever seen, you can tell people that have come from Texas when it snows, they do this. I got picked on when I moved here for that. So I'm back at you. So we're going up these little flight of stairs. It took us forever. He's waiting for us. We finally get to the top and the guy goes, what took you so long? I said, well, this is, seems unsafe to us. Your, your stairs are dangerous. It's dark. The, the stairs were narrow. It had some snow on it and you, you could feel it moving. And the higher you got, you know, you got a little scared. He goes, he goes, ah, oh, I come up these stairs every night. I'm accustomed to this. And I thought to myself, how many of us have become so accustomed to the darkness? that we're no longer aware of the danger we're in. I wonder if we've just gotten so accustomed to living with the darkness in our lives that we're no longer concerned that it's dangerous. New Life Church, I'm your pastor, and I'm calling you out of the darkness. I, I can't personally take you out of darkness into the light, but I can introduce you to the one who can. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You know, that's our mission. If you're w wondering what your purpose is on life, what, what, why are you here? What is your purpose? We have one purpose, go be the light of the world. And I don't know about you, but our dark world needs us more than ever right now. We don't need an angry church, we need a holy church. We don't need an angry church. We need, we need a church that's filled with light, holy church, filled with the spirit. We're focused on the truth. So in a minute, we're gonna stand. Would you stand with me right now? And I'm gonna ask those of you who serve the, the communion elements, would you make your way down to the front as well? In just a moment, we're going to receive the table of the Lord. Before we do that though, can we just turn our hands toward the Lord? Maybe some of you, have been confronted by darkness this week and listen in the name of Jesus say in Jesus name I, I resist that you don't have to listen when you're confronted with darkness the greatest weapon you have is an honest heart you're the light of the world and the darkness has never overcome the light the father in heaven we choose today to walk in the light to have fellowship with you and with one another you are the light of the world. And we are the light of the world. Because you are, we are. Come on, hear that today in your life. Because Jesus is the light of the world, we are the light of the world. 
I want you to stay in this place of worship. Let, let the Lord say something. Let the Lord speak to you about something that's going on. If you have something to confess, this is when you do it. You confess, you repent, you open the door. Let Jesus in. Let's worship together. In just a moment, Pastor Daniel's gonna come and lead us to the table of the Lord. Make your way out right now. Take the elements, go back to your seat and continue to worship.